Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, we feature David Denny, a guitar maestro, singer, songwriter, and studio engineer. He got his first guitar in the 50s was a member of Frumius Bandersnatch in the 60s, played the Fillmore, was hanging out with the likes of Janis Joplin, so we got some great stories about that time. He went on to become a road manager, guitar tech, and member, off and on with the Steve Miller Band. We talked to David about studio recording and engineering, his solo albums Diesel Harmonics and Louisiana Melody, and we talked to him about what he's been up to now, including working on some film scores and some other musical projects with his wife, Kathy Peck. Sit back and enjoy another wonderful episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Diesel Harmonic, The David Denny Story. So, David Denny, welcome to Music Live Radio. It is awesome to have you on the program. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Dan. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. This is, this is fun. We love to uh, start the program off with getting into your background. So, where did you grow up and what kind of music were you, were you listening to? Uh, when I grew up. I grew up uh, literally growing up in the 50s. Yeah. And... Um, uh, grew up in Lafayette in the hills, and not really downtown Lafayette, but more so way back in the hills. We had a Walnut Creek phone number, a Pleasant Hill fire department, and a Lafayette address. Okay. I mean, it was just like, and there'd be, we had fruit trees, and what a great Thompson grapes, <laughs> and tomatoes, and my uncle grew corn, and... Uh, we had all these amazing apples, and we'd have 20 deer in our backyard at one time eating our apples. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow, I mean, that herd of deer, I just don't, you just don't see that anymore, wow. you know? And it was just fabulous. Great place to grow up. A lot of oak trees, a lot of creeks, you know? Sure. We used to ride down Bryony's Dam. We used to fly down with quarter horses from one end of that to the oh, other wow. <laughs> before they filled it up with water, it was just amazing. Or they terraformed the area. Yeah. <laughs> so grew up in the country and um, went uh, to school in Lafayette. You know, it was uh, it was a nice time. You know, with you know, talk about team spirit. We were all into our high school back then. You know, and <clears throat> it was 1966. 
we graduated, and then all of a sudden the kids behind us could have given a shit about school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everybody started smoking pot, you know. <laughs> so it was like all of a sudden the team spirit just went out the door, and everybody just became self-absorbed, going off into yeah. you know where we go when we get high, you yeah. know. And uh, and so uh, still today, all our classmates love going to a you know a, we're going to have a fifty-year reunion this year. Oh wow, that's fifty awesome. years! Yeah. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> So what kind of music were you listening to in the uh, 50s? Well, we, you know, back in the 50s, um, it was a lot of single artist pop songs. And then as the 50s turned in the 60s, started to play music. In fact, my mom started me on guitar when I was five years old. And she really wasn't a musician, so to speak. She played a little piano and knew what the notes were. So my mom and dad bought me this K guitar. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, you could do pull-ups between the strings and the fretboards, you know. <laughs> it was like way far away. <laughs> and my mom would teach me one note at a time. Well, that's the third fret. Yeah, yeah. And it's on the bottom string, so that's a G. You know, so it was yeah. like... That's how slow it was, and she finally says, "Well, you know, I think we maybe we'll get you guitar lessons." Yeah, I remember it was Sherman and Clay and Walnut Creek, and then down Main Street, and learned a song by Dwayne Eddy, 40 Miles of Bad Road." Okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so Dwayne Eddy was the first Dwayne person Eddie. that that uh of guitar i was learning and now, was that uh, a song that you wanted to learn to play yeah or was that, okay. yeah i just yeah and so um it was fun and we ended up performing and that was scary but we performed for our parents you know all oh, the okay. students had one performance a year, you know, and the very first performance that I remember besides that guitar performance mm-hmm. was uh, playing a show and tell for Mrs. Atkins' fifth grade <laughs> class, and I played the Battle of New Orleans. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was my first real song I remember singing and playing. My first band, I guess the very first band was a trio. We sang folk songs like Peter, Paul, and Mary kind of stuff. Yeah. Kingston Trio and things like that. And we did three-part harmonies. And this was when we, when I was in sixth grade, I guess. But then as the 60s came in, then surf music was coming in. We listened a lot to the Ventures. We had a surf band. We, you know, we grew up in those hills, and we practiced in the garage in the afternoon. Our neighbors used to work at Shell all night long, Mm -hmm. and so he'd come home in the daytime, and he'd want to sleep. And here we were in the garage, just hammering out this (laughs) surf music, really loud. And he'd come down, he'd start yelling. You could hear this. When we'd stop, you'd hear this voice, you know, just yelling and screaming to shut up. And I'm calling the police. And sure enough, the police would drive up our driveway (laughs) and talk to us. And I said, well, you know, it's the middle of the day. (laughs) You know, it's not like we're playing here at 10 o'clock at night. He says, well, you got to try to work something. You know, the cops were nice back then. and, 
and uh, they were they were friendly. Yeah, you know, they didn't threaten us, but they just said, you know, you really need to try to tone it down a little at least, <laughs> or work work out some you schedule know? with this guy or something. <laughs> yeah, well, there was no working out with him. <laughs> His name was Bats Crone, <laughs> and uh, you know, I you know just became Facebook friends with some of the some of the kids, and yeah. it was really wonderful actually. To I love Facebook personally. I love the way that yeah. we can all communicate with each oh, other. Yeah, I've hooked up. Know? I just did an interview with one of my buddies from high school. Nice. Well, it, not even really. It was more of an acquaintance, but a guy I knew, and he uh, has been playing music his whole life. And I remember doing sound at his a gig in junior high for him. <laughs> and I hadn't reconnected with him in like 25 nice. years. So, nice. yeah, Facebook is great. Really, really great. <laughs> Uh, my parents bought me an electric guitar, and that's how that surf music started, because sure. I had gotten into trouble <laughs> and ended up in juvenile hall when I was uh -oh. like 15 and a half, mm -hmm. something like that, and we rolled my parents' Volkswagen, his uh -oh. <laughs> 62, well, it was a 62 Volkswagen, we rolled it down the hill and rolled it down the highway, we had this old road, and... You know, started it with the clutch. Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, apparently we were hanging out with the wrong kids and they were stealing hubcaps or something. And, <laughs> and uh, we got caught. And we ended up in juvenile hall for a week. And mm. you wouldn't think that we would end it up there for a week. And that's a whole story in itself. <laughs> we won't go into it. But um, anyway, I decided that prison was not for me. <laughs> That so enough. that was my only experience at 15 or 16, and luckily that was 50, a half century ago, so yeah. that <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> so anyway, my, when I got out, my parents said, well, what do you really want to do? What is it that you'd like to do? Because, and I thought for sure I was going to be grounded forever. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to see the light of day. And uh, no, they were just the opposite. They said, you know, you're going down the wrong path, and we want to try to get you on one that you're, you know, is a better direction for you. And little did they know, <laughs> <laughs> their rock and roll was going to take hold. <laughs> and and I'm sure that they had <laughs> regretted it for a long, long time. And... um Luckily, I have I have great parents. You know, they didn't really want to back my music, but they wanted to back me if I wanted to stay in school. Mm -hmm. I said, "Well, well, why don't you back my music?" <laughs> <laughs> they weren't uh, they weren't going to go there with me, but uh, they did buy me a 1962 Stratocaster Sunburst. Oh, nice. <laughs> and if I had that today. <laughs> I would trade it in on a new uh no I wouldn't uh I would buy a new car with it but any no I probably wouldn't I you know all the guitars I've ever had in my life up until 1970 if something went wrong with them I just traded them in yeah you know I, I so traded I time for this <laughs> I traded my Strat in for a all white with black pickguard SG and then I traded that in on a 1968 Sunburst 335. Mm. And then I traded that in when I 
had a recording studio for a piece of gear called the DL4 that at the time was the hot shit, you know. And somebody bought that guitar from the store I traded in on, fixed it, brought it into the store, brought it into my studio. Oh, wow. And literally, I had tears in my eyes. Oh, no. I swear to God. <laughs> It was so painful yeah. to see that guitar that I'd spent a couple of years on the road with. Yeah, yeah. Practically slept with the thing. <laughs> you know, it was like, God. And he was a, a, just a wonderful player and, and played kind of Hawaiian slack key guitar. Huh. Just, just, I mean, just, he just had a way about him, uh, the way he played. And he made the guitar sing so sweetly. And I just, uh well, at least it was going to somebody that was putting it to good use, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Sarcastic motherfucker. But... <laughs> he so could play. Let's get back to your uh, first band. We were called the Breakers. The Breakers, okay. Yeah. It's funny, I, I never really got into sports, probably because for me, when all the sports were happening in high school, I was playing the high school dances. So I, they were out there watching the game. We were setting up gear, yeah, getting ready for the gig, sound check. And so it kind of got me out of wanting to be out there doing that. I wanted to be on stage playing guitar mm. and, you know, watching the girls. <laughs> and uh, sorry, honey. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it was great. And we, we, did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of playing high school dances i mean that was our main thing and then when we started breaking into sorority gigs we were <laughs> getting our eyes open really quickly about a lot of things uh playing in berkeley and they were pretty wild parties and i think we all were just like wow this is this is the thing to do <laughs> play guitar and play sorority part or not sorority but uh fraternities fraternities yeah. yeah you know anyway it was a lot of fun and then uh, we ended up at diablo valley college out of i was at Ocalani's and and we had met a lot of the other bands that were playing around town one was shades blue limited mm -hmm. which had a, a bandmate that i ended up with for years jack king and uh george tickner who ended up being the one of the very first members of Journey. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, before they had gotten into being a real pop band. Yeah, They were writing some amazing instrumentals, which George Tickner was, had a big hand in it. Oh, yeah. But he couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, be comfortable playing on stage. You could go see George play. And I met George in high school. And he, you know, he'd be in his room... Uh, he lived. We both lived in Lafayette. He was, I think, a year ahead of me in school. And I don't know how we became friends, but all of a sudden I'm at his house, and he's got candlelight burning, and he's playing the most majestic rhythm guitar I have ever heard in my life. Still an inspiration to me today, yeah. though I don't see him much at all. But he was really instrumental in just taking over the way I felt about playing rhythm just so he he just had a way of playing i i just want to say majestic it was mm -hmm. just fabulous 
and uh, very clean and perfect. And so when he joined Journey, he and Neil Sean uh, were a great combination of mm-hmm. guitar playing. George and Jack were in a group called Shades Blue Limited. They used to play Beatles songs just exactly how they were. You know, he played all the guitar parts perfect. And, you know, all of a sudden the Beach Boys were in, the Beatles were in, and we had to learn to sing. Shit, I don't want to sing. I just (laughs) want to play fucking guitar, you know. It's like, so I, I, um, I, I had to learn to sing and, um, and we did. We all we all learned to sing. You know, okay, we'll do it. And um, there was another group, uh, and Jack was from Pleasant Hill, and several of Jack King was from Pleasant Hill. There was another band called the Epics, and huh? they were from uh, uh, Walnut Creek. And uh, it was Bobby Winkleman and Nino Riggiarello were the two names I remember back then. Well, there were a lot of other bands around too, but the reason I'm bringing up these bands was that we got, we all went to, all of us ended up going to Diablo Valley College. Sure, yeah. And uh, we started, you know, because we'd seen each other on stage, we kind of had some kind of a rapport and we all started hanging out. And then uh, we ended up with uh, Jim Nixon, manager of mm-hmm. a group, and we called it the All Night Flight. And Herbie Herbert, which ended up being the manager of Journey many years later, he went from here to being road manager for Santana, managed Santana, then formed Journey. We had a lot of discussions about trying to put the best of what we could together of all these high school groups, like kind of combine them all and try to make one really dynamic good group and uh there was another guitar player his name was jimmy warner who's passed away now and uh he passed away with cancer a few years back and and so anyway jimmy was a a fire guitar player he was just a burner you know you know i I don't know even know how or what he was playing (laughs) but we worked out a lot of harmony guitar things together and then we had ross valerie from journey uh, Ross and Jimmy played together in a group called Little Jimmy and the Good Timers. Mm. So they were another group from Akalani's. Yep. So we had all of these people that got together. And I get it mixed up sometimes because there were, there were several versions of what became Frumius Bandersnatch. Yeah. And we were called the All Night Flight. And before Ross was in the band... Uh, we had another uh, bass player. His name was Brian Huff, alias Johnny Stallion, who I played with a good portion of my life on, off and on. Mm. Wonderful person and great musician. So the manager, Jim Nixon, and Brian Huff came up one afternoon and said, we're changing the name of the band. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, what's wrong with the all-night flight? It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just perfect for the time. It's yeah. You know, it fits it's right in day, with the man. Jefferson Airplane and uh-huh. everything. We're 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 good. <laughs> no, we're changing it to Frumius Bandersnatch. Oh, what was your reaction <laughs> when they said that? <laughs> I said, I, if you change it to that, I quit. <laughs> I did. I told him that. <laughs> I have that for a name? Are you kidding? I couldn't even say it. Frumius. What it? Fru- you know, <laughs> couldn't even say it at first. 
Oh. And uh, so anyway, we became Froomius Bandersnatch. I didn't quit. <laughs> and then we ended up, I don't know, we, the band went through some turns and twists and and uh, some different people were in it. And I was in it for most of the times that we had the, you know, that things were going well. And uh, we're grateful to be there at that time. We played the Fillmore and uh, at that time we had... There were there was one other band from Contra Costa County, and that was Country Weather. Mm. They were the Virtues in high school, and then became Country Weather eventually. So Frumius Bandersnatch and Country Weather were always vying for getting in the Fillmore and opening up for whoever was yeah. going to be there. And we're always, you know, hammering on Bill Graham to get uh-huh. in, you know. And uh-huh. so we felt like we were part of the family. Both both groups did. Yeah. At the time, you know, there was the Dead, Quicksilver, Moby Grape, Janis Joplin, and we all sit down at a big table, and Bill Graham would have all these gripe sessions. <laughs> all right, what are you unhappy about? I'll give you one day to talk about it <laughs> once a month. Yeah, yeah. And so we'd all sit at this big table, and I can remember Janis coming in with a big bottle of Jack Daniels and slamming it on the table with her German Shepherd beside her and go, <laughs> what's happening? You know, it's like... <laughs> It was it was a it was an amazing time in my life, you know. I don't remember everything about it because <laughs> because if you were there, you didn't remember, and you know I had <laughs> my brain wasn't that good anyway. So you know, at the end of that, we'd have jams and uh, everybody get up on stage and just be together, and it was it was a good feeling. It was a, a wonderful time. Here's Frumius Bandersnatch with Swain. Here we are, listening to the band. The song plays on, a mood we understand. Hearts sing out, basking in the sound. Hips are rotating around and around. to play the straight theater and Hillel Resner, I don't know if you know who him, but he was the, uh, he and I mixed magazine and all of this. 
this you know he he just was in the mix and he had this great club called the straight theater which is now i don't know a clothing store or something i don't know what it is but right on hate street and uh we we used to open up for santana before they were ever big mm-hmm. and they they didn't have the groove back then and I can remember that we actually had a better night than they did. <laughs> Prumius had yeah. a better night from Santana. I'm going, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, I don't know, it was David Brown playing the bass or whatever, but all of a sudden, it was, dum, 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 dum. You know, and then, yeah. the, and then the, the congas would come in and the timbales would come in, and all of a sudden, all of the men and women wanted uh-huh. to dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, though we took them off the stage one night, they blew us off the map. <laughs> we played with them a couple times, and it was so hard to play with a, with a group that had gotten so popular. And yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really amazing to watch them go, and, uh, and Neil Sean to join the group at 16. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a time where Herbie who knew Neil, yeah. uh, tried to get me to play rhythm guitar in Neil's trio. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, it was, you know, we were, we were going to do that. And I yeah. thought, this is going to be fun. I'm going to yeah, play yeah. with this kid who's amazing, <laughs> and I'll just be his rhythm guitar player. And I was good at rhythm at that time. And, and uh, then Herbie brought him, or somebody did, I think it was Herbie that brought him to the Fillmore. He sat in with Eric Clapton, and the, it was all over. <laughs> I mean, it was just all over. He was automatically, he was on his way. Yeah, so yeah. then he joined Santana right after that. And, and uh, it, was, it was fun times. It was fun times. It was, it was frustrating times for Frumius Bandersnatch because we had, we had a lot of talent in the band. We had a lot of good singing. Ross was in the band now from Journey and Jack King, who ended up in Cold Blood, and, and uh, Steve Miller with me. Here's, here's what happened with Steve Miller. We played shows. We, we, we played a few shows with him. Mm-hmm. We played once out at uh, Buckeye Ranch. It was way up in the hills of Lafayette. And we played up there. It's when Steve had Boz Skaggs in the band, Curly Cook, and all those people. And, and, uh, and it was the very beginning. And we were all just, uh, we did a lot of gigs with him. We opened the show for him. And it, it was I think we were all just kind of blown away at mm-hmm. that band, and and it was kind of like a, in a in a sense at that time we just looked up to Steve Miller like mm-hmm. it was just like, geez, really? Yeah, this is wonderful. And <laughs> you know when Boz and him were in the band, yeah, that's like and there were a lot of stories there why they broke up, but mm-hmm. the two of them, but but uh, you know the long and short of it was they both wanted to do their own thing, and they mm-hmm. did, and sure. they both did it very well. So Steve loved to jam. Mm-hmm. Ross, uh, Valerie, his, his parents lived on a hill, way in the hills in Lafayette. And <laughs> all of us ended up living on this hill in this A-frame. And this t- Ross lived up in the tower and the band lived in this A-frame. And his parents were wonderful. Ross's father always supported people who wanted to do their dream. If that's what you want to do, I'll support you doing it. You can live here. We'll feed you dinner. 
and they fed us a lot of times. Maybe not every night, but they fed us a lot of times. And um, if you need money, I've got some apartment houses you can go down and paint for me. Yeah. So you get some money, and then you can, you know, pay for your food and wow. gas. And, and so it was amazing living there. And um, Steve would come up and jam in the A-frame. We all enjoyed the friendship, and, you know, the jams were amazing. And um, so uh, we went about our ways. Ross and George quit Frumius Bandersnatch almost simultaneously mm. to join a band called, uh, it was a person called Jim Trumbull. Ch- Trumbull? Trumbull, or I can't remember. It's been <laughs> 40 years or longer. But anyway, it was a jazz group, and he was signed. There was a a lot of yes, no, I'm going to leave, no, we're not, because I mean we were so close. Yeah, you guys we had, were right on the edge. Of we the, were on uh, the edge. We had great. we had done three demos for three different record companies, and uh, at Fantasy Records, and we did one at uh, with the guy that produced um, uh, Creedence Clearwater at his studio in San Francisco before Fantasy existed, and. We were close, but our biggest problem was we didn't have the songs. We had the talent, but not the songs. Mm-hmm. We, weren't, we weren't good enough songwriters. You know, we used to get standing ovations at the Fillmore, and, and so we had something. Yeah. There was something. We had flair. You know, we were fun to watch. Um, but uh, so anyway, when, when Ross and George left, it kind of it hit the band really hard. There were more versions of the band. The gigs got worse and worse. Mm. And it got to the point where there were all these top 40 clubs popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Where you used to do original music. Now they only wanted to hear what was on the radio. Mm. Well, basically cover band type stuff? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so now we're going 50-50. <laughs> and... We're doing half original, and that's the part they don't want to hear. Yeah. And then we're doing the, you know, the hit, and then the hits, yeah. And so now we're having to fucking play Santana songs. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, this fucking hurts. God, a fucking black magic woman. God. You know, oh, and funny. and and the the interesting thing for me now is that. You know, I I know a, a lot of the people that have been in that band, and and now there's a singer Tony Lindsay who sings in the he's the lead singer now, and he just I it's just recorded my friend Carlos Reyes uh, up in Fairfield. I do a lot of live recording, and and Tony he had Tony Lindsay sit in with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wow, he's just an amazing singer. He's fabulous. And uh, I listened to some of the roughs that, that I recorded, and we haven't mixed it yet. But, oh, I mean, it's just, you know, there's a difference. The people that can really sing, it just, there's a reason they are where they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there really is. And so, anyway, the long short of it was the gigs were getting worse. We we're now down to a, a four-piece band. It was me, Bobby Winkleman, Jack Notstein, who replaced uh, Ross Valerie, and he's a great bass player, really creative bass player, and Jack. And we're all just kind of living in Walnut Creek up on a hill, and, you know, 
drugs or, you know, dropping acid once in a while and just, you know, running around naked. But, you know, <laughs> nothing was good was happening <laughs> as far as music goes. And I was practicing, I, I swear to God, I was practicing 10 hours a day. And I wasn't going very far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> just practice and practice. And I just, you know, they'd be off going in the sun somewhere, going to the beach. And I said, no, I'm going to stay home and write a song. And I, I'd have a Panasonic cassette player here and another one over here. And I'd have wires going into them. And I'd play a rhythm guitar and, you know, some kind of a drum machine. And then I'd run it over here and play another part and just mm. go back and forth and write mm. songs and... And um, I just couldn't get enough of that. And uh, that was, a, I don't know, 69 or so. And, and so I heard Steve Miller was looking for a rhythm guitar player. Hmm. And so I just, you know, there wasn't too much. We, weren't, we didn't have that many gigs. And I don't even know how we paid our rent. Yeah. I don't even remember how we actually got it done. But we, we kept getting it done. But it was tough. So... I told Bobby, I said, you know what? I know Steve's looking for a rhythm guitar player and I'm gonna I'm going there tomorrow. <laughs> well <laughs> Bobby, my buddy, yeah, yeah. that night went over an audition. Oh no. <laughs> and got the gig as a bass player. Oh, okay. And he didn't hire a guitar player. Oh, and so he he says, "Oh well, if that's the case, I'm going." <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't resent him for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it it was it was wide open. You know, yeah. I just literally <laughs> it was my own fault. I should have yeah. just gone, but <laughs> not that I would have gotten the gig. But um, so anyway, um, Bobby kind of looked like Steve Miller and had a higher voice than Steve. Uh-huh. So Tim. I, what's Tim's last name? The drummer. Anyway, he's passed away now. He wrote Saving Grace and a few of the wonderful old songs from the early album. Anyway, the, they were a trio, and they did really well. They, they did, uh, I think it was album number five. And so Steve wanted to expand the band a little bit, so Ross joined, Jack King joined, and we're all hanging out. We're all jamming out in Stinson Beach. And it was a lot of fun. And so anyway, I'm leaving one day and I'm still driving an old Volkswagen bus and and Steve walks me to the door and he says, Poncho, he's my nickname has been Poncho for ever with Steve and that's another story. But <laughs> anyway, he says, you know, we're having such a good time. You know, it'd be really great if you came with us on tour and I'm thinking, Oh great. I'm Band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and he says, I'd like you to be the road manager. You're like, oh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not me. And so I said, <laughs> no. And and I was really disappointed. And Frumius had done this big festival up in uh in uh Washington called the Sky River Rock Festival. It was a huge outdoor event. And we'd done it once or twice, and it was just wonderful. And I called the promoter, said, I'd like to come up there and play as a solo artist because I'd been playing and singing, and that's kind of what I've been doing. And yeah. 
So uh, I decided I'd drive up to see my folks who lived, uh, they were living in Walnut Creek, but they had a place up in Georgetown where they stayed up. They built the house on a lake and they stayed up there a lot. So I decided I'd drive up there before I went to Washington. Mm -hmm. About halfway up, you know, on Highway 49, it stops my bus. (laughs) (laughs) It just stopped. I don't know what happened to it, but it just stopped. And uh, I had it towed up to my parents, put it in their front yard. It stayed there for two years. And yeah. oh, I'm telling you, they were mad. <laughs> so anyway, they're, they're like, well, what are you going to do with yourself now? And I said, I don't know. I, I really want to go to Washington. He was, well, how are you going to do that? Your bus is broken. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. I had told him, you know, he said, and my teeth, I had a bunch of cavities. I had a tooth that needed <laughs> pulling. And they said, well, what's going to fix your teeth? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I guess I, maybe I just thought that I went, when I was with my mom and dad, that everything was going to be okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. And they're going, you're 21. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and you dropped out of school now. And uh, what are you going to do now? And, uh, so why aren't you taking that gig you told us about? Yeah. And you're going to get on the phone right now, aren't you? And call <laughs> him and say yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I did, and I took the gig, yeah. and I became the road manager. Which, you know, at that time, I did every job that he has like 20 people doing now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was one person. I got the cars, rented. <laughs> You know, rented the cars, we worked on the booking the planes, I ran the sound, the lights, collected the money. You know, it was like, you know, did set up the gig and ran the PA system. You know, there was like, I don't know how many people do it now. There's a lot of well, big sure crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he, I think he, he laughs about it. You know, we talk about it a lot of times, yeah, you yeah. know, because... I ended up in the band. I ended up writing songs for him. And yeah, yeah. I didn't write that many songs for him. I wrote another song uh, later. I, I got a song on the Greatest Hits album, which was called The Steak. Only oh, yeah. nobody nobody knows the name. Uh-huh. Because, you know, I, don't, I was in the office with Herbie one day, and he says, you know, that was the stupidest name <laughs> I've ever heard for a song that was a good song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, why didn't you call it Nobody loves you like the way I do. Uh-huh. Why didn't you call it that? You called it the steak. <laughs> Who knows that song? If I tell people, even today, I wrote a song called The Steak, they go, never heard it. <laughs> and well, yet, when they hear yet, the song, they're like, oh, that yo, song. Yo, that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, just I like being creative, and I just, I guess I just didn't care. <laughs> I just didn't care about being commercial, and yet... Here, here's what happened. We're in the studio, and we've just done the Fly Like an Eagle tour, you know. And what a tour that was. Oh, it was yeah. amazing, you know. And that's when we were on AM radio. What? AM <laughs> <laughs> radio. Really? You know, KYA, KFRC, you know. And, and uh, we're, we're finishing the record, and we're at CBS Studios in San Francisco, and and we know that Book of Dreams is going to be shipped platinum. That means they're going to ship not a million dollars, but they're going to ship yeah. a million units. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> shipping it. And 
they expected it to be a huge album and so we're sitting in the we're sitting in the control room the whole band is there and steve after all it's the albums we played the whole album he says is anybody unhappy with their song i said yeah i am <laughs> what an idiot it's gonna be on a flat record i said i'm unhappy with my song <laughs> you know god <laughs> uh, you know i look back now and i can laugh but yeah, i mean yeah. look at the time i'm going this is the first record i've ever been on and it's going to be platinum and i want my song to be perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'm saying you know steve <laughs> this is funny i mean it's funny now <laughs> it wasn't funny then and he says what's wrong poncho and i go well you know We've got this lick, you know, and and it wasn't intended to sound so much like Rocky Mountain Way. Yeah, yeah. Please, it, it, with just this little twist, no one will ever compare it to Rocky Mountain Way because everything on top of it doesn't have anything to do with Rocky Mountain Way. It's just these two licks. And I said, you know, if we just twist it just a hair, that settles it. It's not, we didn't write Rocky Mountain Way. Yeah. We didn't intend it to sound like Rocky Mountain Way, but it is sounding like it. Yeah. So let's just twist it a little bit, and then we won't ever have to deal with that we're doing a song that sounds yeah. like we ripped it off. <laughs> and we didn't rip it off, but, but, but still, it sounded very similar. And, and so oh. he says, David, it's two chords. Who fucking cares? <laughs> you know? And and Joe Walsh got it from I don't know Sex Machine or something you know there was exactly. some James Brown song or whatever <laughs> he said that it came from there so don't worry about it don't worry about it and I said well can we just at least go in the studio and just give it a shot so we went in the studio me and Gary Malabar and Lonnie Turner and Steve and and so the four of us are just playing the song and steve's part and my part are clashing because he's not changing his part <laughs> and i'm doing the little twist and yeah, it's yeah. not working because yeah. he's not changing and he's just totally satisfied with, <laughs> with uh the way it was and even made it sound more like it <laughs> you're like oh brother this is back and he <laughs> He stops, and he sets his guitar on the guitar stand, and he pulls out a cigarette out of his shirt, and he says, David, you know, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to smoke the cigarette, and when I come in, I really hope your guitar matches mine a little more, because <laughs> otherwise, I, I think we're just going to blow off this song. <sighs> You're like, oh. <laughs> really? <laughs> So he came back in, and my guitar was perfect. <laughs> it matched his unbelievably well. <laughs> and that was the end of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I just think to myself, you know, of, you know, the universe and what it gives us. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost threw away a huge gift. Yeah. You know, <laughs> huge gift.
still grateful that Steve put that song on his record, you know, because he's still playing it today, you know, and I'm glad to have been there. Yeah. <laughs> glad I made the right decision, <laughs> you know. And so, um, we're sitting there in San Diego with a DJ from the big station in San Diego. I don't even know what it was called, but Capitol Records. I mean, we were, this is where rock and roll decadence was happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's all of the bands, all of the punk bands, were against everything that I was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kathy. You know, she was playing in the in that whole scene, and you know, there are stories about us getting together with people, and <laughs> when they found out I was with Steve Miller, they went, "Oh God, I think we're supposed to hate you." you know? And Jello Biafra's birthday oh, party at V Vale's house oh. up in the North Beach. <laughs> there was a guy. Was, I was talking to this guy who owned a record store, a punk record store at Berkeley, for years and years and years, and we hit it off really good. And then when I told him I was with Steve Miller, that's where this bread came from. God, I think I'm supposed to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it was, but it was good. You know, we, we, we laughed about it, you know, luckily. <laughs> yeah, so we, we came off of the, the Fly Like an Eagle tour, and it was really um, an amazing tour. Because he had, I mean, he had Fly Like an Eagle and Swing Town and Rock and Me and Big Old Jet Airliner and Jungle Love. I think were the five huge hits he had. There may have been another one in there. Um, and then if you bought the record, of course, you knew all the other tunes. And that's what happened with Book of, Gr- Book of Dreams as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Book of Dreams had, I guess Book- Jungle Love was on Book of Dreams. Because the album got so popular, my song got popular, because it never made it to the AM radio, but it mm-hmm. was on that album so sure. that everybody bought the record and it became a, a, a big song because of it was on the album so i was really grateful for that and 
And so I ended up having, um, I was in the band for about three years. This was the second time around. Yeah. I'd been the road manager in the 70s. And then I ended up actually halfway through that tour in 1970 joining the band and was on an album with him called Rock Love, touted the worst album he ever did. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what time? <laughs> so I was on that album, and, and they never gave me credit, and now my name's on it, and I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> but um, uh, I was on just a few of the tracks, and those the tracks that I was on were some of the best tracks on the album, so I was happy about yeah, that at yeah. least. <laughs> you know, I think it was blues with a feeling or something. I re can't remember, but we were at least on a good couple of good songs on that record. Then I, I got married in 76, went over to Steve's house, and uh, he said, David, I've got basically, I've got the best album I've ever done. It's going to be huge. And he had, you know, the Joker had been a big hit for him. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when he did the Joker, it was really kind of interesting because it was kind of a wake-up call and, I think he wrote the song with a bunch of friends out in Martinez. And um, funny how his name, the, you know, we were out as a band called Joker, and then he comes out with a song named Joker. And there was all, everybody was trying to twist us all up about it, but we just didn't care. We weren't really trying to get, you know, we did have a band called Joker that toured for a year out in the Midwest. And he's, he said, listen, I got this album, and I've, I've really done a lot of work on it. I think it's the best album. I think it's going to be huge. I've done a lot of testing. We've, we've played it at high schools and asked the kids what their favorite song was on the album. And we're going to put that album, they're going to put that song out. I think it was Fly Like an Eagle might have been the first one. And so uh, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it because I'd just gotten married and I needed to do something. She was working and, and, Steve and I still had a pretty good rapport, and I just went over, and after he played me the album, he says, look, David, I'm going to give you an album. I'm going to give you a, a cassette of uh, bass, drums, and rhythm guitar. Yeah. Learn the part. You got the gig. Mm -hmm. You know, we're friends. Yeah. I know you could do this. Just learn the parts. Uh, yeah. So I did, and I got the gig. So I got to be there, you know, when all of a sudden we're doing college tours, Little bigger shows, little bigger arenas, little bigger, little bigger, little bigger, until all of a sudden he's got top 10 hits on the radio. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're out there playing coliseums, you know, we're playing on shows with, uh, with, you know, everybody from Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles and, and Foreigner and, Peter Frampton, I mean, and Jay Giles, just, you know, just tons of really fun bands. We played with the Beach Boys. I mean, it was just everybody. It was sure. Anybody that was anybody back then. And all of a sudden, we're flying in Learjets, <laughs> and we're having limousines pick us up, and we're, you know, it's Steve Miller Day in <laughs> Milwaukee, and we're, fire trucks are taking us down wrong way streets to wow. the stage, and you know, in every city, there's a capital party. And, you know, none of us want to go to a capital party anymore because, you know, just every city. Come on. Can't we just go to our hotel? <laughs> Somebody's got to go. Yeah, yeah. 
Poncho, you and Byron, you're going. <laughs> and so we show up and we'd be sitting there at a table full of people who just wanted just wanted to be with some of the members. They, yeah. you know, because the band was so big, they were, you know, they were part of the, you know, part of the community in that town. They yeah. were involved with capital some way. And I'd sit down and I mean, there would be just a table that was like three, four tables that were just, you know, a room length long with shrimp and fruit and just mm -hmm. piled up. You could have fed a, kid, a high school for a week yeah, yeah. with the shit that's on these tables. You know, I mean, just way over the top. And there's two of us that show up. <laughs> You know, it's just like, and of course, there's a lot of people that want to talk to us, and they're going, "Well, where's Steve? Yeah, <laughs> where's Steve? You know, and, he's resting up. Well, we're uh -huh. second best. <laughs> you know? And so, um, I'd be sitting there, and there'd be somebody right next to me, and I said, "So, what do you do? Because <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't even know who it is, and I don't even care. But I'm trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and what do you do? I sell tape." <laughs> <laughs> so tape to Capitol Records. I'm going, oh, that's nice. Fuck. I'm just like, oh God. One 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 time, I think it was I think it was I think it was Milwaukee. I uh, Oktoberfest or so I don't know. One of those things. And there's Six of us get off the airplane, and there's six fucking limousines. <laughs> Black limousines. Mm. Six. Just waiting in front of the airport. <laughs> and I'm going, really? <laughs> really? I mean, you know, why do you think people didn't like us? Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> well, I didn't do anything. I just want to play fucking music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's six fucking limousines. And I don't even want to be seen in it, let alone <laughs> ride in it by myself. <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, Byron, I got to get in this wood with you. And this limo driver just going, no, you got to be in the No, I don't. I'm going to be in here with my friend Byron. Byron Allred, who was playing keyboards at the time, and yeah, just over the top, <laughs> just over the top. That no, seems pretty and no man, and no wonder the the kids were rebelling when Napster yeah. hit. Uh -huh. You know, not that that I love Napster, but <laughs> 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 they were just going twenty dollars for a record. What to fuck you when I can get it for free <laughs> and not pay a cent? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I got really pissed off when when it first Napster first hit because my royalties went from, you know, here to here. Now oh, yeah. on the radio, you can't see what I just did, <laughs> but it meant in half, <laughs> and it was already sliding down. So but that's then a I, real it tangible cut, impact. Cut my yeah. income in half oh, yeah. overnight. Yeah, wow. I mean, within six months. Out of the blue, and, and and the ultimate slap in the face with Napster type things was some kid. I'm at a wedding, and some kid is playing music off the off the internet, mm -hmm. and he's just asking people what they want to hear and going and finding the song and playing it. Yeah, and he's getting. $500. Yeah, he's, paid, yeah. he's getting $500 for the gig uh -huh. and playing other people's music yeah. for free. Yeah. 
But that wasn't the slap in the face. The slap in the face was, here, you want this? You want all the songs we've just played today at your party? I'll burn you a CD. Oh. Pay me five bucks. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a fucking slap in yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah. That was a real slap in the face, and that was a reality check. And I'm sure that's when Metallica was going nuclear. <laughs> they really were going nuclear on Yeah. It. And, you know, it's it, it certainly, you know, all of the internet has hurt all the industries. That's just, it, you know, every the film, the, that, the film yeah. industry, the porn industry, the music industry, any industry, the, the clothing industry. You know, when Napster hit, you think about all of the people that got out of work, the, pe- the trucking companies, the record pressing companies, the publishing companies, the printing companies, the publishing companies, you know, the tire companies. I mean, you know, don't think about everything, everything. When you take away an industry, it's a whole lot. It's like taking away a military base in a sense where there's a whole entire group families yeah. supported by all all of the local people mm-hmm. around those you know the ships and stuff doing tires doing you know all of the you know the selling goods you know it's just like no matter what uh, you know the computers is certainly a mixed a mixed blessing mm-hmm. i mean the, the jobs change people change they learn yeah. to do different type of work and as that transition period happened, uh, it, was, it was a tough period, but now it's starting to happen again. I've just recently done some recording that somebody hired me to go downtown and record uh, a script, you know, that they were going to do. And I find, find out when I get there, it's Priceline. And I'm doing a live recording at frickin' Priceline. I go, how did this happen? <laughs> this is the William Shatner company. <laughs> and I walk in, and it's just a row after, it's just many rows of tables with computers sitting uh-huh. on them. Yeah. There's, you don't even see sheetrock on the walls. It's just an empty shell warehouse. Wow, weird. With, all the way up these high-rises. Yeah. That's what it is. Huh. People sitting at computers. Yeah. Just row after row after row of people sitting there eating their lunch, (laughs) typing, you know, just as far as you can see, nobody dressed up. (laughs) Everybody's just unshaven. Nobody cares. (laughs) There's a big kitchen. It's just like a sweatshop. Yeah, a big kitchen. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and they could show up and they don't care what you're dressed like. It's a different world. They don't care what you do. You can be the biggest fuck up of all as long as you sell what you're supposed to sell or get the client you're supposed to get. You can do anything you want. It's crazy. (laughs) And these companies are making money. Yeah. That came off a Napster, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So getting back, um, my wife, when I got in the band, we had discussed that she wouldn't get pregnant while I... We have this because here we go. This is an opportunity of a lifetime to be in a band like this. Oh, I've worked sure, my yeah. whole. I've worked my whole life to yeah. be. Like well, hi, I was, mom I was, and dad, I'm finally. Uh, yeah, uh, mom and dad. Hello, look at me now. <laughs> you know, and buying a house in Pleasant Hill and two yeah. cars in the garage and money in the bank and platinum records on the wall. Yeah. Well, we 
kind of like that song now, son. <laughs> we hated it when you wrote it, but <laughs> now that we see what you've done, and they they signed on. They were they were happy and proud of me. They didn't they didn't like the song at all. Yeah, because uh, you know they were both very serious Christians, and and higher I as burning burning is all you can take. I'll take you over. You're tied at the stake because nobody loves you like the way I do. And I'm going. <laughs> they're going what did you mean son? <laughs> you know it's like mom it was analogy don't take it so literal jeez in mints i was you know i'm i'm good <laughs> you know and it's like uh we're all good you know and everybody wants to be proud of the way they treat their lover you know yeah. so that's why that's why the song was popular because everybody wanted to feel good about it you know what I mean? It's just, people just wanted to feel good. And uh, so anyway, I think that that, and Steve did, a, you know, his, his fantastic voice on it. And we had a, some nice guitar solos. And and so grateful to be there. And then I got to, uh, in, in 93, um, I went back to work for Steve for a couple of years in the crew. Mm-hmm. And the first year I went out in the crew, I mixed the in-your-ear monitors. It was like, it was pretty much the first year that they were really out there. It was Grateful Dead and us doing most of the in-your-ear monitors with uh, Future Sonics. Mm. And Marty Garcia was great. He'd come out and uh, really help everybody, you know, figure out how the things were working. And and so I mixed the entire band, uh, and then we had someone else mix Steve's. And uh, as it turned out, Steve wasn't happy, and the man- manager came to me and said, we'd like you to mix Steve and Blake to mix the band. And Blake on the side came to me and basically said, you know, it's not going to happen. Because huh. yeah, he had put the system together for ah, Steve. Okay. And he just said, it's not going to happen. And he pretty much threatened me. Oh, so. wow. So, if you're listening, Blake, you know, <laughs> try to disprove what I just said. As you blew that fucking pot in my face when I wasn't smoking. Anyway, the next year came along and Steve says, well, I really don't have anything for you, David. Unless you want to be a guitar tech, I'll pay you the same. Yeah. So, I took the gig. <laughs> like, well, hey, it's it was the worst gig I ever did. Uh, wow. It was really rough. I worked with a uh, really great guy named uh, Rick. I think it's Rick Salazar. I think, and he was a, he was a good guy. But he knew when we were up there. He says, "Well, you do Steve, and I'll do the rest of the band." <laughs> and I said, "Okay." Well, Steve and I are friends. How hard can this be? Yeah, Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, guitar techs. My hat is off to them. Yeah, it's a really hard gig. And you really have to love guitars, live and sleep with them to make them breathe properly, change the strings every single gig. And Steve (laughs) had this guitar called the sitar guitar, Uh where they played on Wild Mountain Honey. Uh And he would play, you would tune these strings where you go, do, 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 do. You know, it's the riff on the record. Uh And all they do is, do all downstrokes and it played the exact melody and then he would play on the 
the guitar part of it. He'd play the melody, but the other part. And so you had to tune it with a piano tuner. The, all these strings on this yeah, kind of auto yeah, harp I type thing. For this thing. And, <laughs> and you had to tune it with a, a strobe tuner. We're always right behind the PA system. The PA system is freaking loud. I'm tuning it one day, and all of a sudden I had two notes backwards and one <laughs> wrong note. <laughs> so he's playing the song, and all of a sudden it's do 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 <laughs> and he looks over at me, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. And so um, then he plugs in a guitar, and it doesn't work. And then he has a uh, wireless thing he plugs in, and it makes a big slam in the PA system, mm -hmm. and then it doesn't work halfway <laughs> through the song. Yeah. And then he picks up another chord, and it isn't going in his guitar right. And then, I don't know, maybe one other thing happened that night, but it was the worst night of my life yeah. <laughs> on a professional gig there may have been one other one we don't talk about tonight but <laughs> um so anyway i came off the stage went in the back room and looked at steve and i said i don't really know what to say <laughs> really yeah, yeah i really didn't know what to say so the next day the road manager comes oh. up to me <laughs> and he says, do you see this? <laughs> and it was a plane ticket, a oh, real one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And he says, we're giving you five days. And if any one of those days, yeah. even one mistake happens, <laughs> this is yours. Yeah, yeah. And you're going home. Yeah. Not fun. It was not fun. <laughs> and and it was, you know, when you're playing Coliseums and you're in front of 50,000 people, you can't have mistakes like that. Yeah, yeah. You can't. And I really, <laughs> it was like every one of the problems, every single one was the fact that we had a device by Sony that had a different size plug-in. Mm -hmm. And we moved that device around through the guitars yeah. and into different plugs. And it had ruined oh, no. the contacts in yeah. there because it was a different size. So yeah. when we put in the regular ones, which were smaller, yeah. they, didn't, they either didn't make contact yeah. or they shorted out. Mm -hmm. And... It, it took Rick figuring this out by yeah. having a micrometer <clears throat> yeah, that yeah. it was bigger. Mm -hmm. And so we filed down the Sony and replaced all the jacks. Hmm. I mean, we're busy because we're changing strings on. Yeah, I had, a, I, major, uh, I had 10 or 13 guitars that I had to change every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just doing that and getting them stretched out and handing, when Steve's going on stage and I'm handing him a guitar and it has to be perfect, and then, you know, hand him another one and another one and another one and half of them are wireless and half of them aren't, and you have to turn them on and off at a certain time, right and wrong, and, you know, and have it tuned <laughs> and, 
it's like, oh my God. I had he had a low string guitar that one of the tuning heads broke off an hour and a half before the show, and it was a big part of the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm on the phone calling every every record uh or every music store in the city and literally found one and had the guy and his family come to the show and bring me the part. Like and I literally else. got it, got the screw on and tuned it up to the right note and handed it to him <laughs> as he's walking on stage. I mean, that's how close it was. It was the most nerve-wracking, stressful gig I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. So my hat's off. I was on the tour with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you were going home too. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, it turned out okay. But at the end of that tour, Steve and I were walking together and he says, So what do you think, Pancho? And I'm going, Well, be truthful. This was a tough gig and it's not my ambition to be your yeah, yeah, yeah. Guitar tech. Yeah. It's not my ambition, Steve. And I had a really great person backing my own music at the time. His name was Stephen Jarvis. And he was taking me to Skywalker. I was, uh, uh, I ended up working with him in the rental audio business and renting high end gear to top producers and studios and, uh, Class A preamps and tube mics and beautiful things and learned a lot about that. I'd had a couple of recording studios by then and I had asked him to um, to go to work with him. I'm, I'm you know, he said, "Well, look, if you really want to keep doing these albums, we had amazing people playing on these records. You know, great guitar players working with me from Jerry Miller to Lyle Workman and you know." I recorded it all, but then Nathaniel Kunkel, Russ Kunkel's son, came in and mixed it up at Skywalker, which is the Louisiana Melody record was phenomenal. The sound of it, 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 it literally, you can play it in a Coliseum like a Steely Dan record. It may not be Steely Dan, but it's that tight. For 40 days and 40 nights. It's been raining in my heart Since you walked out Into a hole in my heart I can't take this loneliness That I feel inside Come back, darling, remember I'll walk on the wild side we used to stay up all night Chasing dreams of sad and black And you danced on the coffee table And I watched as we laughed Now I'm just chasing love Till I'm numb inside Come back, darling, remember I'll walk on the wild side When it was good, it was real good Nothing could stop us Rolling down the yellow brick highway When it was bad, it wasn't too bad We could sidestep our misery 
that's still baby This is Walk on the Wild Side off a uh, Louisiana Melody. I ended up uh, doing the Diesel Harmonics records and quitting. And then at that time, I was working with Herbie and his band called Cyclops. Yeah. And that was fun. Norton Buffalo played with us, and Ross Valerie was in the band. Prairie Prince was in the band from the Tubes, and and uh, Neil Sean would sit in and play. You know, it was really fun. And Bobby Scott. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobby and I produced a lot of the records. And Chip, from Enough's Enough, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they were from yeah. back east. And uh, he helped produce some with me. And we did the first two records. And then on the third record, we had started it. And Tom Size was engineering, a great engineer. I had a spot where where Herbie and I were really starting to Kind of have friction, and you know we've been lifetime friend, <laughs> yeah, lifetime yeah. friends. Yeah. And I just said, you know, it's time for me to go. And he was pretty upset that I was leaving, and we had had several people sit in with the group, and Ralph Woodson had just sat in a couple of times. He was really, he's a Jimi Hendrix clone when he mm-hmm. wasn't with Cyclops, mm-hmm. and um, played amazing, amazing guitar. And so I said, Herbie, I'm going to quit. And here's here's a guy that wants to be in your band, and I know you like his guitar playing. Yeah, yeah. And so Herbie was ecstatic that I had found a replacement that was really good. <laughs> that isn't the story you'll read, though, if you hear it from Herbie. <laughs> but that's the truth. You just heard it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you'll, you'll be amused if you read the story. <laughs> But uh, anyway, I love Herbie. We've been friends practically all our lives. Born in the same day, same hospital. Oh, wow. That's a quite So <laughs> Herbie and I, we're sitting there, you know, in his parents' garage in Orinda in 1967 or 8, and all of a sudden, it's my birthday today. I said, no, it's my birthday day. <laughs> it's like, really funny. And then we found out we were born in not only that, in the same day in the same hospital. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. I wanted to ask about the, I don't remember if it was the Diesel Harmonics, the first album that you did. Yeah, that was the first one. The, uh, now, was that the album that was released on a series of cassette tapes? Yeah, now, play? listen, I have, to, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was yelling at Stephen Jarvis uh-huh. that I didn't want to do this. <laughs> okay. I was yelling. I said, look, Steve, if I was Eric Clapton... If I was, you know, Wes Montgomery, you know, if I was anybody, if I was, you know, uh, a famous guitar player that people really cared, mm-hmm. and I took all these parts apart because all of my records had four guitar parts. I mean, yeah. there were there was literally that's what I did. I had four guitarists, mm-hmm. and I think on my first record, the 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 song that really jumps off the record was the only one those four guitar players were on. Yeah. It was called Catfish. Uh-huh. And it's organic. Yeah. It's alive. It feels really wonderful. And the rest of the, that album, the first one, I did all the other guitar parts. Okay. And Steve just wanted it to be clean, perfect, and 
you know, those guys are okay, but, you know, I want you to play these parts because, you know, you taught them to the band. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I taught them to the band, and then they made them their own. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the fun thing, the where the name came from Diesel Harmonics, it came from my uncle who used to work as a mechanic in Greyhound. And um, mm-hmm. he used to talk to his buddy Herb, who sold used cars in Oakland. They both worked in Oakland, and they were best of buddies. Yeah. And I used to sit there because we didn't, you know, TV was still kind of a rarity. And so, you know, we all used to sit around the radio <laughs> and, <laughs> or listen to, you know, I used to listen to uh, Bert and Herb shoot the shit about, you know, tuning up their motors. And he was mm-hmm. talking about how, you know, these diesel harmonics, when this is just right, mm-hmm. your motor doesn't shake apart or two motors oh. run simultaneously. I don't remember exactly, but it was fine-tuning something really powerful and having it hum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so for me to have f- four guitars all playing together and making something beautiful and and rich and so what happened was that i got um larry trot who played a lot like keith richards i had dave Scholl, who uh ended up with michael fronte for a while and then he ended up uh he's playing with stephanie keys right now i don't know if you've ever heard of her but she's a really great singer she uh sang with big brother for a while and and uh but anyway dave it was a funk player, and he could do chop. He, he played in a lot of dance bands at the time. And so he had this amazing funk chop. So now I got Keith Richards, I got funk chop, and then I had Larry Arago, Gary Arago, excuse me. It's been a long time. This was 1991, so how many years ago was that? 24 years ago? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I did. I stole them from you. I stole the bass player and the guitar player. And so anyway, Gary played slide guitar. Uh, It was perfect because I was writing parts for those exact guitar players. I was writing parts myself that worked really nicely together. It created this thing. And I played a lot like Mark Knopflin. I did a lot of finger-picking lead and stuff and... At the time, more more like Mark than I play now. But anyway, he was the inspiration, whether I sounded like him or not. Yeah, yeah. It still was my inspiration at that time that I was doing this music. And so we would rehearse. We'd try to rehearse a couple times a week. And it was tough for everybody, but we did it. And I said, look, let's start here. Once you get it exactly right or close Uh to what I wrote, then you can expand on it. As long as you stay Keith Richards, you stay Mr. Funk, you stay on slide, and I'll do what I do. And so no matter how far these guys went into their own space to feel good about what they were playing, it felt rehearsed. Yeah. Because they stayed completely out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. They had total freedom to stay in that genre. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was a wonderful experience. It was probably one of my most fun times playing music, playing out. And we had a, we had a, a nice following playing the 
the bottom of the hill and we played the Paradise Lounge oh, yeah, and nice. and uh, the I-Beam and, uh, you know, the, we played a lot of the fun clubs. We ended up playing Slims, in fact, opening for Dave Mason. And it was just a lot of fun. And then it all f- fell apart with this Disharmonics first record mm. because I had backing, but the backing wanted me to do the parts. And so all the guys felt left out. Yeah, that's too bad. And then I didn't book any more gigs. Yeah. And so a combination of the two, I think we might have gotten through the record if I had kept the gigs going, but I didn't. Mm. And I was starting to run the the audio rental business, which was helping pay, you know, to do this at Skywalker. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, uh, then the next record... Uh, I brought in other people, and I taught Lyle Workman parts, and I taught uh, a guy from the Helicaster parts, and of course they made it their own as soon as, and in fact, Lyle Workman was such a motherfucker on guitar, he took two of my parts and played <laughs> them at the same time. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was amazing. Yeah, that's great. You know, he ended up with Sting and Beck and yeah. all those you know, it was really fun to play with a lot of these guys oh, before they became really, really famous. You know, Lyle went off and started doing movie soundtracks, moved to L.A., and he's a well-known, in-his-field guitar player now, and just amazing, amazing guitar player. Well, then Myron Dove played with us. He was playing in Santana at the time. He played bass, and, of course, Prairie Prince, who's a master drummer, I'm sure... You know who he is, but he played in the tubes. He played, mm-hmm. he played all the Chris, I- a lot of Chris Isaac's hits, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't his live drummer. Yeah. Kenny Dale Johnson was the live drummer. He was a, a great guy, and the two of them made a great team. Chris and Kenny always kind of showed up together as a, as you know, <laughs> as a team. And then uh, Tim Gorman played. He he was amazing. Uh, when we were mixing the record of Louisiana Melody, which was the second Diesel Harmonics record. Tim Gorman scored a part in a song called Just Get Some Sleep. And when I first heard his arrangement, that he had he had done this whole section, and especially on the outro, it was like I was in, you know, I was in this other world. <laughs> I mean, he took us, to, he, he took it to a level that I... My heart was throbbing. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And then when Nate mixed it, I was there for everything. And Nate's got it just way down in the mix. Mm. (laughs) Way down. And then we had Steph Burns come in and play guitar, another motherfucker on guitar. I don't know if you ever heard of, but he's well-known in Italy right now because he plays with the superstar of Italy. And I even know his name but but steph is amazing guitar player anyway i go nate what the fuck where is it uh-huh. this is just this amazing piece of music that could have been in any movie i've ever heard it just it's epic yeah fucking epic where is it and he says let's talk i said okay let's talk because this this piece of music i i just can't believe we're not hearing what it is it's down in the mix i mean it's there yeah but it's not here yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and he says maybe you forgot 
We're making a guitar record. <laughs> you forgot. It's out of place. And, it, and, and with that in mind, I agreed. Yeah. But I've always felt like everybody missed this wonderful piece that Tim Gorman wrote. Tim, Tim uh, he played with the Starship, he played with the Who, he played with a lot of people. He's really an amazing, amazing musician and songwriter. Let's take a listen to that track, If I Could Get Some Sleep, from the album Louisiana Melody. I'm yelling at you, you're yelling at me. We're just gonna argue and disagree. My brain cells are fading. and I had a, had a lot of rocky years with, with trying to write music together and it was only recently that we actually completed a project. It was one of the nicest projects that we've done. It was a tough experience because, I mean, we were, we're both really headstrong. And, <laughs> but, you know, after fighting for, you know, several months on it, we both kind of took our hats off and said, okay, it was worth it. We we got a really nice piece of music, and we both worked. We both worked really really hard on on uh, Winds of Lion, mm-hmm. that ended up on the Neon Sky record, and that's a whole nother story. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the me and the producer had it out so many times that uh, <laughs> I had you know it was a learning experience for us. She in the end, we just saw the film at we probably did seventy percent of the music. And our our biggest upset was there were two emotional scenes in the movie, and we didn't get either one of those with our music. Oh. And those were the ones we wanted the most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and our music worked there, but for the average person, it would have worked. But for the for the director, she just wanted that, but she wanted to hear a different piece of music. Yeah. And she did a great job. We we brought some friends with us. It it, it made the Tiburon music festival international festival okay just recently a month ago or so 
the the actor, the lead actor in the movie, got uh, the number one actor of the series at, from the movie. And the friends that we brought with us said that they got choked up at least three or four times in the movie. Mm. We felt really good because it, the movie finally has heart and we've let go long enough that we were happy with the way the director did it. And, yeah, and uh, we've patched up our differences and, and we talked to a lot of people along the way of what happened because, well, basically that it was a new experience for us and they asked us to be music director, but then they didn't let us be music director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I scored, I literally scored down to the teardrop coming off of the, uh, one of the actor's face and a break. I literally scored that teardrop coming off her face, and it was emotional. I played it for people, and they cried, mm. and, and, and they hadn't even seen the movie. Yeah, <laughs> they just saw the scene. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, when Kathy and I were at a to Prairie Prince had a uh, music art show at his studio up on the hill in in San Francisco, and it was really fun. There was a lot of a lot of colorful music, creative people there, and so we're sitting there talking to Jim, and I hadn't talked for a while, and he says, "Oh yeah, I do soundtracks all the time." Mm-hmm. He says, "I just give it to him and walk away." <laughs> I just give them to him and walk away. That's not us. But it has to be because yeah. you, you realize, you know, that that like we talked about at dinner, you know, it's like a director will just change their mind and just completely come from left field and put in, you know, a kazoo where there was an orchestra. Yeah. You know, it's like that's ridiculous, but but that's the kind of thing that happens. So I think that, you know, if anybody ever asked me to work on a movie again, I, you know, they kept some of the scored scenes, but they literally ripped music out that I wrote and put it in a different place. In a different place. That wasn't and part movie. of it, you know, yeah, and yeah. just part of it where it was scored music. Yeah. And they said, well, we loved it where you had it, but we needed something over here. And I <laughs> thought, well, why don't you just let me write something yeah, for just, you? I'll work with you. So that, that, was a, that was a struggle. <laughs> Here's a piece of music from The Winds of Lion. The day is winding down. working on now or what are you working on now what's uh... well um there's a couple of things kathy and i studied the uh, 30s and 40s 
And I had put out a song, I don't know, a couple of years ago that I sang. It was an original song, and I was kind of inspired by that period of time. And we were listening to Rod Stewart, Linda Ronstadt, Boz Skaggs, Steve Miller, do all these covers. Here's all these amazing talents just copying the music and trying to do it exactly like it goes. Yeah, yeah with the same arrangements of the orchestras and maybe put their own little twist on it because they're who they are. Yeah. And we thought, you know, why can't we write original music from that period? Mm-hmm. Why don't we just get inspired and write our own music? Yeah. And so we picked a lot of the music together and then I went into the studio and pulled music apart and said, I want to write a song like that. And so I studied the chords, I studied, I studied the feeling, I studied a lot of the ways that that music made you feel and wrote my own songs. And um, so we, we, we studied together and we tried to look at not repeating ourselves. So right now the album, we actually re- released it and had given away a couple of hundred of them just to friends we haven't sold any we just gave them away yeah, and nice. and and we'd go to a gig and we just you know we sold a few but mostly just doing music for music's sake and that's kind of what happened with with the winds of lion the first one we were doing a lot of music for music's sake which turned into we've got some interest and twisted and turned until we molded it to work for a movie and then we wrote some stuff for the movie in yeah. other words we ended. We started here, and got asked to do this, so we did this, and then pulled this along with it. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, and so we've we've done that with this. We've got two or three beautiful guitars. Kathy's played bass on some of it, and they're beautiful melodies of the '30s and '40s feel. Yeah, yeah. But brand new melody, and so now we're taking another look at it. And saying, okay, it was nice as a guitar record, and it's really peaceful. I mean, you can put it on, and it's not background music, yet it's relaxing. Yeah, yeah. But it's music that want that wants to grab your attention. If you turn it up, especially, you can turn it up and relax, not hurt your ear. Turn yeah, it yeah. up, but but play it at a nice yeah. clip. You're feeling relaxed. It's like meditation. So anyway, we're we're in the middle of that, and. I did a song on the, uh, it was a compilation, California blues players. There were a lot of uh, local blues player, guitar players that ended up on this album that Mike Somavella has done a couple of versions of. And um, he asked me to do a blues song, and I played a couple, and he says, those aren't really blues. And I said, well, why don't you pick something? (laughs) So he gave me uh, about five songs. And I picked one, and uh, it was called Without You. And I don't know if it was early Fleetwood Mac. I forget who was the artist, actually, because it became my own song. But uh, we liked it so much, we thought, and it's very colorful and very, very original sounding that I might do a whole album of music that's inspired by this first song. Yeah. So... We're thinking about that, but to be honest with you, photography and music at 
this time is for art's sake. Yeah. I don't I just don't care about anything. <laughs> really. Yeah. I don't care if I sell one. Yeah. I'm doing it because I like it. You want to do the stuff that you want to do. And I, don't worry about it. I I I make money recording other people yeah. and producing other people. And it allows me to just keep it free and clear and express myself the way I want to do it. Well, that's very freeing. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of Music Life Radio. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I <laughs> enjoyed talk going back in my life and thinking about this things. Therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Therapy, yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dan. Me, and I don't it's it's been a real pleasure. <laughs> thank you, Dan. It's been awesome. Thanks again to Dave Denny for a great interview. We're going to leave you with a song called So Far So Good off of his Louisiana Melody album. Nightclubs to bedrooms Staying out late at night Going out with a messed up mind You wouldn't call me Mr. Right And then I met you baby So far so good Same time, yeah, we found each other. 